the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Glad you're with us. So is Pete Paquette. He's our engineer. Andrew Hurdliska, the producer. Jeff Jones, our first guest, lead pastor of Chase Oaks Church in the North Dallas area. His book is out, Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. Jeff, it's so nice to catch up with you, and uh, welcome to Orlando. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much, Pat. So what's this book about? Why, why was it important to write this? Well, it's a problem I think we all feel, uh, those of us who are Christians especially, when we think about the perception of Christianity in America and how it's shifted and how especially the emerging generations is sort of this mass exodus away from Christianity. Um, I mean, in my lifetime— I've been doing pastoral ministry now for 34 years, and I did start young, though, but I've been doing it for a while, and I've seen in that lifetime of ministry, Christianity go from being admired in culture, to being tolerated, to being canceled, and now increasingly being seen as repulsive. Um, I mean, it used to be that, you know, if anything, Christians, people kind of felt like Christians were too good you know, goody tissues or something like that. I remember when I was a, a high school student, it's when I became a Christian, and I was started to date a Christian girl, and my friends, who most of whom were not Christian, thought, ooh, you know, you're dating a Christian girl, you know, like I was going to ruin her, and she's too good for me. Um, but now it'd be the opposite. You know, if, if I was a teenager now and said I'm dating a Christian girl, people would, you know, be like, ooh, gross. You know, why would you do that? It's just this massive shift. And so it's really looking at, at what happened, because I, I believe that Jesus gave us the responsibility to represent him well. He gave us the brand 2,000 years ago. So rebranding Christianity really isn't coming up with a new brand. It's going back to the brand he gave us 2,000 years ago, and, and to get back to that, uh, to once again represent him in a way that uh, is, is more winsome. And We're- so that's what we're trying to do. Yep. Where does John 13 fit into this discussion? Yeah, it's really critical. You know, there's different times that Jesus kind of talked about how we should be known, but I think that's the clearest. So John 13, 14, 15 is the Last Supper that Jesus, you know, is there with his disciples. And we know that, at least I think, that the most important conversation he had was about the new command because he repeats it. He talks about it in in chapter 13, at the beginning of the conversation, chapter 15, he returns to it. And he says, guys, this is the new command. I'm leaving you. This is, this is what I want you to do. This is it. And he said, this is how you'll be known as my disciples. And then he gave the new command. And the new command is love one another the way that I've loved you, which you can see it in the conversation kind of goes over their head because they start talking about something else and he returns to it. And then he says, Hey, this is the new command love as I've loved you. Uh, no greater love than this. And a man lays down his life for his friends. The next day they would see that. So what he was letting them know is, Hey, this is your deal. Like this is how you roll. This is, this is how we're going to win over the world. This is how we should be known. This radical kind of love, because what's new about the new command is not loving people. It's loving people the way Jesus loved people, which is really radical. 
and really sacrificial. And of course, they would see the ultimate display in the, you know, the very next day as he dies on the cross for the sins of the world. So that the one way we should be known as Christians in culture, the first thing people should think of is, wow, who's that generous? Who's that forgiving? Who's that gracious? Who's that kind? Like nobody's like, like these Christians are nuts. They're crazy. They believe some weird things maybe, but wow, who would want to live in a world without them? They're just amazing. You know, that that's the way we should be known. And and in the first century, those first few centuries of the church, that's how this tiny little group of people became the most dominant influence in the world, um, is they began to love that way and be known for that. And so in the book, we're trying to say, man, let's, let's get back to that and, uh, and, and consider how maybe we've had mission drift and lost our way and are not known. You know, we're known for the opposite of that, and that's a massive problem, and I believe it's our problem to solve and to manage because Jesus gave it to us. So how do you think brands, any brand, loses that trust of their audience? And once lost, can that trust be regained? Well, that's such a great question. You know, you know, every brand um, has, has a promise attached to it, right? And you know if you're going to go to Chick-fil-A, for example, you expect really great chicken, fast, and great service, my pleasure, and all that kind of stuff. So if you, over time, go in, and, and that's not what you experience over time, then you, the, the brand no longer fulfills the promise, then people then lose connection with it. In Christianity, when people encounter, if they encounter Christianity, and instead of receiving uh, love, which which still includes truth, it's it's you know, but um, but done in a certain way. When that when that when we're seen as arrogant, mean, pushy, bigoted, whatever people say, that's a massive loss of trust. And so, yes, I I do think you can regain trust, but I don't think it's it's easy. And um, you know, I. I wrote this book with two brand experts, um, one who led branding at Frito-Lay, another who was one of the top branding experts in the, in the world. And, you know, so their perspective is interesting. So we have case studies that they do, that that's what they wrote. And one of those case studies, Domino's Pizza, which I think is an interesting case study for Christianity right now. So, uh, you know, with Domino's Pizza, they were known for fast pizza, under 30 minutes, but it was kind of terrible. You know, it was, and so uh, they decided they wanted to be known for really great pizza, and and to change, you know, change the way they made pizza, change their ingredients, all that. But they knew that they did not have the trust of their customer to just say new, improved, trust us, going to be great. So they did a, a campaign. Their branding campaign was just frank honesty. They hired real customers to say what they really thought, and so people said things like, and this was their commercials, if you remember, you know, like one person said, well, Domino's pizza is worse than the box it comes in. You know, it tastes worse than the box, you know, things like that. Um, but then they said, you know what, no more. Like, we're we're going to be different. And just to prove to you, we know you don't trust us enough to buy it, so we'll give you a pizza. And, and when you look at what happened in terms of their market share, in terms of, it's just one of the greatest turnaround stories of any brand. But I think we're kind of there because I, I think frank honesty of, you know what, Jesus called us to be certain kind of people, and, and that's not how you've experienced us, and that's on us. And, um, and we're sorry. You know, if you've been hurt by church, if you've been repulsed by church um, because of some encounter with a Christian or a church or a group, um, but that's not who Jesus called us to be. That's not who Jesus is. And we're not going to be perfect, but but we're gonna we're gonna live like he called us to live, and we're gonna love like he called us to love. And I think people can handle authenticity, and um, even the emerging generations are leaving church. But I think that's I think it's an interesting analogy because I think that's kind of where we are as a church now. Surely, <clears throat> Jeff, uh, there are spots around the country where uh, positive good things are happening in the Christian community. Do you, do you have, do you agree with that? It's not, it's it's not all doom and gloom, is it? It is not at all. You know, I mean, uh, the church is a 
beautiful thing, right? And 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 doing good all over the place. So just that's not what has received the attention um, as we've, uh, you know, we're seen as bullies, um, even though there's pockets and people and people doing all kinds of good. Um, but I think what's happened and, and where it's gone wrong is the politicization of Christianity, um, where we've, I mean, it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with politics, but you don't want to politicize Christianity, and um, where you align it with whether left or right, it doesn't matter, and begin to get pushy to see us as a Christian nation, and we've got to protect our our point of view, and we've got to make sure that we legislate our morality, and that we, you know, are loud voice, and that we get our people in power, and, and when Christians misuse power, um, that creates pushback when we begin to create a Christian America rather than Christians in America, or we see culture as a battlefield rather than a mission field, um, that, that the people we're called to love and reach, um, if we go into sort of cultural warfare mode, then we're going to repulse people. We're going to be seen as arrogant, judgmental, pushy, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, we, we have things that are extremely important to share. Um, the truth of Jesus is the most important truth ever, but we're told to do that in a way that creates curiosity, that creates a sense of pull, that, that is endearing, not that creates a sense of push and that is repulsive. And, and, uh, and I, I think for a while that's happened, and that's what's received the attention, that's what people are recoiling. But the good news is um, there's all kinds of good things happening, and and I think people's in culture, their expectations of church and Christianity are really low. So it's easy to meet low expectations and beat them, you know. So I, I see all kinds of good being done, certainly in our church and in churches. All You know, there's incredible churches in Orlando serving the greatest needs in that city. And, you know, it's so I, I think, the, fortunately, the reality is a little bit better than the perception. And, uh, and, I, and so I, I am hopeful, especially what I see among the emerging generations who I think are don't have some of the hangups that, that people in my generation maybe got, got distracted by. Jeff Jones is our guest. Uh, he's in North Dallas, his church, Chase Oaks church. Uh, we've got another segment with Jeff. So stay with us. I do want to remind you that we are working hard trying to bring major league baseball to Orlando. We're ready. Uh, this community can do it. Uh, but we need your help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and we need to hear from you. Check in. Uh, tell us your feelings. Tell us how you uh, would like to be part of this, orlandodreamers.com. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back with Jeff Jones. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jeff Jones is the lead pastor of Chase Oaks Church in the North Dallas area. Uh, His book is out, Rebranding Christianity. Jeff, at the end of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uh, writes this line in the the very last part of that book. Do everything in love, he writes. Uh, I I think about that every day, uh, particularly if I'm traveling. Uh, Can I I do everything in love all day long? Uh, Your thoughts. Well, that's that's a challenge in it, but I love it. I, I, that's exactly how Jesus called us to live and what we should be known by, what we should be preoccupied with. Uh, can I do everything today in love? How can I express the love of Jesus in where, every environment I'm in? And, you know, I, 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 and, and that's powerful. We're, we're told to live that way. And, you know, when I, when I was growing up and wondering what I was going to do, there was, you know, different jobs, right? Doctor, lawyer, whatever. One that didn't exist was brand ambassador. Like that was not a thing, but now it is, you know, people, you know, and, and we're all called to be brand ambassadors in the way that we live and love 
among our friends and neighbors and coworkers and everywhere we go, realizing we're representing Jesus. And the most powerful influencer in the world is love displayed. And if we, and, and I believe if we all individually realize, I mean, that's, that's got to be my preoccupation. And, and I represent Jesus everywhere I go. And I, just, I want people to know his heart of love for them, and I'm going to express it. Uh, that would be powerful, powerful, right, uh, to begin to think of ourselves that way. And the New Testament talks about that, you know, to live among outsiders that way, in a way that makes the gospel attractive, that makes people who say bad things about us a shame they ever did because of the way that we because of the way that we live among them. And and that's the way the early church rolled. That's what they did. Um, one of the greatest mysteries in history is how Christianity survived. I mean, just from a pure history, secular history standpoint, because it's this was this tiny little malign group of people, just a 120 people, you know, this tiny little group of people when it started. And the whole Roman Empire, you know, eventually put it in its crosshairs, wanted it uh, wanted it to go away because they thought Christianity was, you know, they didn't worship the emperor and all that. So there are all these smear campaigns that happened. And and so one of the greatest mysteries of just, I mean, we know God's involved, but from a secular history is how did Christianity not only survive, but become the most dominant force in the world and in the first couple centuries of the church. And it's simply doing what Jesus told them to do, the brand, to love the way that I've loved. And they, they love the poor. And they, uh, in pandemics like we've just been through, they, at great risk to themselves, went and found all the sick people who'd been abandoned. And that's where hospitals started as they collected these people. And uh, Christians created the first kind of community that was truly um, diverse. You know, Roman society was way more polarized than our society is even, and rich and poor and slave and free and, and, and citizen and non-citizen did not mix. Yeah, but in the church, the church was the first environment in the world that people had ever seen. A diverse, beautiful community where it didn't matter if you were slave or free, rich or poor, citizen or non-citizen, this from this race or that race. Uh, there, all those distinctions just didn't matter. They just formed this beautiful mosaic, um, all centered around love, common love for Jesus, and and the world had never seen that. And uh, and so love displayed is is we use the word irresistible a lot because uh, church history would show that it it really is an irresistible force for good. It's compelling. You can't you can argue with people's arguments, but you can't argue with love displayed in a radical way. Jeff Jones is our guest, Pastor Jeff Jones. Jeff, is there any greater thrill for a Christian than leading someone to accept Christ as Savior? But yet, why is that so terrifying to so many Christians, uh, and how can we overcome that? You know, you're right. I just had the opportunity to do that not too long ago, and it made my year. You know, it's just uh, to be to realize that, that God wants to use people like you and me to represent Him and to help, you know, when you understand all that He's done for people, and, you know, by sending His Son, dying on the cross, you know, how— and and we get to be part of making that connection. It's a powerful thing and a joyful thing. And and I I, I do think we make it uh, overly complicated, you know. So I think sometimes in our minds we think we have to know everything. Wait, you know, what if they ask me a question that I don't know, or what if I say things the wrong way? And you know, what we're told to do is to live in love in a way that makes the gospel attractive, and then to be ready. You know, because God is at work. We're not on our own. You know, God is creating curiosity. Like Jesus said, look at the harvest fields. They're white in the harvest, meaning everywhere we go, we may not see it, but God is at work preceding us everywhere we go. And so when I begin a relationship or I go in somewhere, I think, okay, God, how can I be part of the process today? I may not close the deal, but how can I be part of the process of representing you? And and to realize, hey, I'm not on my own. God's going to help me. And if I don't know the answer— all I got to say is, I don't know, but what if we looked at it together? You know, what if we found out together? And and then to share our story, you know, is a powerful thing. Um, I, I think if you share the good news of Jesus in a way that makes it seem like, hey, I'm right and you're wrong, uh, that's not very helpful. But 
it's as we tell our own story of what God is doing in our life and what God has done. And, and, you know, people, people are open to story uh, and they're open to love displayed. And like, you know, Peter said to the Christians in Rome, you know, live in a way that makes people want to ask for the reason, the hope that you have. And, and so I think if we're loving the way God's called us to love, we'll have a lot more opportunity. And when we do just share our story and realize God will help us. He'll give us the words to say. And if we don't know something, then just say, you know what? I don't know. I think that's a great question. And uh, we don't have to freak out about it. And I, I think that's helpful. It, it, at least that's helpful for me uh, because uh, it, it's easy to be intimidated by the most significant opportunity we have, and that is to help somebody come to know Jesus. Jeff, uh, recently I had this opportunity to uh, lead someone to Christ, and, and, and the opening is so important, but, but, but here's what I did, and here's what I've learned. Uh, just ask this question. Do you believe that there's a life after this one? Mm, yeah. And, and the response came back uh, this way. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, what, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, hap- yeah. that happens, Wonderful. that happens repeatedly. I- I'm not sure. Um, or, or, or this one, I sure hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and then that gives an opportunity to explain that, yes, there, there is life after this one. And, uh, all you have to do is, is believe you don't have to do any works. Uh, you don't have to, um, stack up brownie points. It's just a matter of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I was, uh, it, it's a thrilling opportunity when you see somebody re- respond and be receptive. Um, so, uh, that, 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 that's our little challenge today. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Uh, yeah. you're going to find that people really do want to learn and they, and above all, they want to know if, is there life after this one? So yeah, I love, I love the picture of, you know, the, what I alluded to earlier that when Jesus said to look at the fields that are white into harvest, because it was when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, and those Jewish disciples at the time would have considered Samaria a spiritual black hole. Like there's nothing, God doesn't do anything here. You know, they, this is Samaria, and, um, and and is you know, and and all these people are through the woman at the well have come to know Jesus and, and they would have assumed that God is not interested in these people, that God's not doing anything there. And what Jesus could see that they couldn't see is no, God's always at work. And what you see maybe is just this desolate place, actually the harvest field and God's at work. And he just invite all he wants is for us to be in the harvest field. Uh, and all he wants is just to be open to being used by him and to be, a little bit intentional and a little bit available because God's already at work. He's always preceding us. He's the one that creates spiritual thirst and pulls people toward himself. And so, and, and that helps me because I realize, okay, God, I don't know what you, everywhere I go, right? You go to a restaurant, and eat, I don't know what you've been doing, but you're here and, and, and open my eyes that I can see the harvest and see what you're doing and just be a little part of what might be happening today. What, <clears throat> Jeff, what do you want people to take from your book and this discussion? You know, I think to take responsibility that Jesus gave us to represent him well and to represent the brand well, love people the way I've loved you, and to say, and that's how we should be known and the way that we do community and the way that we live in the wider community and make love tangible through good works and realizing that everywhere we go, we represent Jesus and to love people the way we've talked, to create the widest of welcome in our relationships and our homes and all that, to, as we engage with those who don't know Jesus, uh, to do so, to be the kindest people, not to enter, not enter into the polarization and vitriol that we have right now and the outrage and all that, but instead to be, do exactly what we're told. We're told to be completely humble and gentle and respectful of those who are outside and to be so careful the way that we engage people who just with people who disagree with us to love even our enemies and those who are giving us a hard time to not, I guess the, the bottom line is to not see ourselves as victims. Um, I don't think that's helpful. 
that, boy, people are moving away from Christianity it's because we're mistreated by media and so on. And, and of course, that's going to happen. But I don't think Jesus gives us the the freedom to say to just be victims because he gave us the responsibility. This is how you this is how people will know you're my disciples if you love the way I've loved you. And so it's it's on us to say, you know what, we may be treated unfairly, who knows? Probably, of course it's gonna happen, but we're gonna take responsibility for it and we're gonna represent Jesus well and we're gonna represent it powerfully. And love displayed the way the New Testament talks about and we talk about in the book is an irresistible force for good in our world. And I fully believe we can win over a skeptical world that we have lost. My guest has been Jeff Jones, <clears throat> the book Rebranding Christianity. We have more. Stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word. In Orlando, we will return. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jeff Jones, our guest in North Dallas, Texas, talking about his book, Rebranding Christianity. Well, we go from from Dallas to uh, to Minneapolis. Ron and Nancy Keller are there. They're the authors of Marrying Again, 52 devotions to prepare your heart and mind for marriage after divorce. Ron and Nancy, welcome to Orlando. Congrats on your book, and I'm glad uh, we can hook up here. Thank you very much. much for having us on, Pat. Ron, what's the background of this book? Uh, Nancy and I were married uh, and divorced. I had no idea that would ever happen to either one of us. Uh, Both of us had made a decision after our divorce that we would not remarry. Uh, But because of the way that things worked out, we felt like God had pulled us together. Um, The the background of of this book is that both of us thought we knew everything we needed to know to get married again. And we learned the hard way that there are many issues, many feelings, many problems that are going to pop up. We needed to be prepared for that, and we did our best to do that. And so we've written this book as a result of uh, 37 years of experience with this. Nancy, um, the uh, second chapter, the second topic is simply called The Bible and Divorce. Uh, I want you to uh, explain that one. Well, we have had many questions about this because we know many Christians uh, don't believe in remarriage, don't believe in divorce. And we both grew up with religious backgrounds as well, and we're in the same place. And, you know, we're, we're very aware of the scriptural context about divorce. For instance, the Malachi passage 2.16, in which the Lord said, I hate divorce. Um, But we have also discovered that taking that verse just out of context is really not the whole story. Um, There are also many verses in the scriptures um, that promise us that God loves us and there's nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love of God. So if we take it in a little bit bigger context than that, and especially when we feel that God has brought us together, we have to trust that if we confess our sins, God forgives us and gives us the hope of a new life. And that's what we feel like he gave to us. Ron, I want you to talk about beauty from ashes. So one of the beautiful things that did happen to us is that um, as time went on, as we knew each other, we were both working in a church situation. We realized that uh, God was drawing us to be together. So um, the the truth is that divorce is ashes. It's painful. It's troublesome. It has terrible implications for life. Um, But God gave us the gift of of a a new life in him with each other. 
We actually were just together with all of our five stepchildren and grandchildren recently, and these kids were kind of thrown together. It wasn't their choice when we got married 37 years ago, but to watch them all and the good relationship they have with each other and the good relationship they have with us is really, I think, an example of some real beauty that can come out of ashes. Now, Ron, tell us, I mean, um, Ron, explain to us uh, this one word devotion. It's just called disappointment. What's, what's going on? Uh, can you repeat that, please, Pat? Yeah, disappointment is the next topic uh, that, you, mm. that you write about. Topic number five, uh, I need you to ex- mm-hmm. explain that. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, the reference that we made in the passage uh, for that chapter is, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So um, we we have had all kinds of disappointments about ourselves, about our divorce, about uh, problems with divorce and our children. But God has given us this promise <clears throat> that we have a new hope and a new future. Um, there's much to be dis- disappointed about, but... Uh, and dis- disappointment hurts, but we can trust in the words that God gave to us, that he understands our hurt, and he has good plans to prosper us and bring us hope in the future. Next topic for you, Nancy, is called anger. <laughs> oh, great. A good topic. <laughs> um, well, There's obviously anger on many levels that can happen uh, in a divorce and also in a remarriage. I think people are sometimes surprised by that, but it's really, it's one of those stages that I think people go through when they come out of a divorce. It's it's one of the grief stages that uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross described. that most people are familiar with, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And certainly anger is a significant one. Uh, People are angry at their former spouse. They're angry at themselves. Um, They're sometimes angry at their situation. Um, There's just children get angry. They don't ask for the divorce. They don't ask for a remarriage. So I think anger is just one of those things that people people need to recognize and go to work on, uh, really accepting it and working through through that process, so that they don't carry anger into their into their new relationship. In fact, all of these stages, I guess, if you're kind of going chapter by chapter, you're going to hit all of these, but. We have said to people that if they do not work through these stages of grief in a healthy way, uh, or if they enter into a new relationship before they've done this work, uh, it could actually jeopardize a new relationship and make a potential new party uneasy or worried that perhaps this person was not ready to begin this relationship or may never be ready Uh, for the new relationship. So it can definitely jeopardize uh, the future of couples, even if God does bring a new relationship into their life. Now, Ron, uh, the next topic is simply called guilt. What's what's going on? Your thoughts? (laughs) A lot of guilt as I'm I'm looking at this. Uh, So uh, with with the divorce comes uh, a hangover of a lot of guilt that can permeate a person's mind and heart and can permeate their uh, relationships with other people. So we ask people to uh, obviously go to the scriptures um, 
to learn more about how to get freedom from our sin and from our guilt. And there's a whole lot of sections in here about that. So one of the things that we've written is guilt's greatest power is that of a teacher. So guilt teaches us a great deal, and so does the freedom that comes in Christ. And so um, is, there's a, that's an important section of this book. Now, Nancy, tell us about loss and grief, those two. Yeah. Well, I think there's uh, more loss than people anticipate sometimes in a divorce. I mean, obviously, people are aware that they have lost perhaps their home, perhaps the ability to be with their children on an ongoing basis, um, those kinds of obvious things. But we discovered there were other losses that we did not anticipate. Um, for instance, uh, loss of, of even items that former spouses tend to get rid of or just throw away. Um, I did not anticipate my feelings of loss of my former in-laws. I was very close, especially to my mother-in-law, and uh, really, really, really missed her um, and kind of didn't, didn't anticipate that. So and then um, in terms of the grief, a lot of it is like what I said before. The stages of grief are important for people to know so that they can walk their way through them with the help of a counselor, with the help of a pastor, through journaling, whatever it takes to kind of walk themselves through those five stages of grief and recognize them uh, in themselves. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally recognize when they get to that acceptance stage. I accept my situation. I didn't like it, but I accept that this is what happens. I accept the fact that God has forgiven me, and I'm kind of ready to move on in my life um, with God's help. And until we get to that stage of acceptance, no longer in denial about what happened, but acceptance, um, we're not really in a very healthy place to move on in our life. My guess. Add something, Ron. One, one of the passages Pat, that we cited in this is, "I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss." That's from Lamentations three twenty, the NLT version, and that's a great passage to look at uh, to allow the grief to penetrate us, and then for us to move on to the freedom that we uh, find in Christ. My guess. In Minneapolis, Ron and Nancy Keller, uh, we've got more with them. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. <clears throat> it is AM 990, FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. And uh, we will be right back. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Ron and Nancy Keller are with us. They're in Minneapolis. Their book is called Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. Um, Nancy, I want you to tell us about the two stages of healing, part one and part two. Okay. Well, we have actually identified uh, 12 stages of healing uh, that we just recognized as we kind of watched ourselves and have watched so many others that we've counseled through, through the years go through these stages. And um, they're, Pretty common, though not everybody maybe goes through every single stage, and they may not, and some people may not go through the stages in this nice, neat order like we have them. But a couple of them are confusion, which is often a first stage when somebody's marriage ends in divorce. Confusion and and what happened and 
shock and being very preoccupied with that, that often moves into a second stage of self-pity pretty quickly where people feel like a victim. They tend to blame their former spouse. They feel sort of traumatized over what happens, um, that kind of thing. And, and eventually we hope that people get to that stage three, which is we call it emerging truth, where we gradually begin to understand uh, our divorce a little more objectively, that it wasn't all our partner's fault all the way through. We begin to sort out a little bit better what happened. And we're not quite as caught off guard with our feelings of sorrow and loss and grief as we were at the very beginning. So we begin to abandon denial. And most people get to the stage where they begin to share a little bit more openly about their feelings and about what happened and get ready to kind of take action. And they move into an acceptance phase, hopefully a little bit of more of an awareness, awareness of the consequences that are naturally going to be there and uh, begin to feel some hope. And obviously, uh, we hope that with God's help and prayer throughout this whole process, they begin to enter a phase of serenity and some confidence about moving forward with their life. And it's really not until that stage where they're really, from our perspective anyway, in a healthy place and ready for a new relationship. Now, Do I have anything, Ron? Yep. Uh, Ron, uh, talk to us <clears throat> about this uh, topic, relationship readiness. What does that mean? Uh, all those stages that just uh, Nancy just mentioned are essential for people to go through so that they are prepared for uh, the next the next relationship. Uh, so the, the good news is that the majority of people who divorce go on to remarry or recouple. The bad news is that the percentage uh, that the percentage of second marriages will end in divorce at higher numbers than in the previous marriage. And so um, we we felt like it's essential to put a, a book together to help people be prepared with all of the feelings, not all, but most of the feelings that they will encounter and most of the issues that they will encounter. And just like we mentioned in uh, our own situation, we were not fully prepared for that and learned the hard way about these things and wanted to be sure that we could help other people to be ready for that. I think a significant piece of this readiness is that ultimately it's God that's in charge of our readiness, and he has a good plan uh, for our lives, and his timing is perfect. So when we surrender to God's plan and God's timing, um, we're giving a potential new relationship the very best opportunity to develop and nurture and succeed, uh, whereas people who sort of rush uh, into things often find themselves in, as Ron said, yet another broken relationship. So uh, so people want to be careful that they really are ready. And some of that readiness is talking to the people we love about how ready they think we are, because sometimes our perception of our readiness and others who have perhaps a bit more objectivity are two very different things. So people cannot be afraid to ask the people they love what they see as well. Nancy, continue right on with the next topic called Introducing a New Partner. Yeah, introducing a new partner is tricky. <laughs> um, sometimes I think when we meet someone new and fall in love, it's just natural for us to want to introduce this person to our loved ones and especially our children, and we're very excited about it. Um, but uh, we want to be sure that we take our time and First and foremost, take our time with our children. Uh, we could do a lot of hard work about our own grief and our own grieving process 
But sometimes we forget about our children, and they have their own process that they have to go through. And introducing a new partner too quickly for children is pretty traumatic for them, I think. And it, it sort of puts on hold their own necessary grieving process as well. So we want to be careful. Um, we want to be sure our relationship is strong and stable and has lasted a significant amount of time before telling our children or our friends about the relationship. We certainly know people who have introduced an, a new partner way too soon to their children. Children begin to invest and then that relationship doesn't make it. And sometimes children have to grieve the loss of relationships over and over again. And when that happens, they begin to learn not to trust relationships. And that could stay with them for their whole life. So taking the time and making sure that you're solid in your new relationship before you get so excited to introduce this person to too many people is, is, a, is there's obviously more to it. Other people's reaction to this person is really important as well, but we just want to take the appropriate time. Ron, tell us about coping with change. What's, what's that mean? Well, the beautiful thing about change is that Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So um, there's going to be a lot of changes that take place. First of all, the divorce is a a big thing. And then um, another relationship is a big change. And so, as Nancy was just mentioning, the children have difficulty in um, going along with all those changes. We have to walk through steps with them, help them day by day to understand what's happening, but also in our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with each other. We have to realize that uh, there's going to be some changes that need to be made, everything from housing to finances, to the way that we cope with stuff. So it's important for us to uh, lean into change, anticipate it. It's just part of the deal, but also to realize we have, a, we have a Savior that is with us in all of that who doesn't change. Now, Nancy, what is the cycle of surrender entail? What's that mean? Yeah, if you don't mind, Pat, I'm going to refer to Ron about this because sure. he he developed this cycle of surrender and has used it in his life for many, many years, and he may be able to talk talk better about it at this point. So do you mind? I, I, don't, I don't mind. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Go ahead, surrender. <laughs> thanks a lot. We're in the cycle now. Uh, so... We go into more detail in this book, obviously, about it, but there's just stages of that. Uh, most of us are not self-aware. We're not very in touch with how we feel and what's actually going on within us. So we say that phase one is become more aware. Second one is to admit what we're actually experiencing. There are so many feelings that uh, emerge from this kind of a situation of uh, divorce and remarriage. And then there's a struggle about admitting. If we admit to God that we're feeling a certain way, we confess certain things to him, we still struggle to want to have it go our way until we do the fourth one, which is to surrender. Surrender means we are willing to allow Jesus to run our lives and for us to run to do his program for us and not our own program. And ultimately, one of the gifts of surrendering is the gift of serenity. And so um, we're gonna, Jesus promised that we're going to have problems, but he also promised that we're going to have his peace, and that's the serenity that we gain when we do our part. We've got time for one more, Nancy, uh, okay. uh, and I want you to explain to us um, practicing communication. we got about a minute. Oh, practicing communication. Wow. Um, I think I, I, I think I just want to say generally about this that, um, I mean, we can talk about communication on many levels, but communication between the two people in the relationship, a married couple, is so, 
so significant. Um, we have discovered that it's very easy in a remarriage situation uh, to uh, allow our children, uh, our own biological children, to become the priority while the marriage relationship becomes pretty secondary uh, pretty quickly. And so good communication is a key, not the only key, but a key to the couple having a significant relationship. It's being able to share with each other on the feeling level, not just the informational level, which is what many people struggle with. Um, when this happened, I felt this way, which makes it much easier for another, for your partner to relate, um, to, um, to react in ways different than just walk away, I got the information, that's it. And if the couple relationship is strong, it provides solid um, foundation for kids who have already experienced the loss of one, maybe more than one relationship of their parents in the past. So they need that security of knowing that this couple is strong, they can talk with each other, they can share their feelings, Ron and Nancy hey, um, Keller have been our guest. The book, Marrying Again, 52 Devotions to Prepare Your Heart and Mind for Marriage After Divorce. If you need it, go get it. Well, folks, we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990. FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.